0: You are listening to Feast Radio, bringing God's love and grace on air. Listen to significant and heartfelt messages you can reflect on and pray about. May this message help prepare you to face challenges, follow your dreams, and open yourself up to God's unlimited blessings. We want to greet some special people in this place. If it's your first time to attend the feast, could you just raise your hand? We would like to welcome you. Welcome. Hey, welcome. Welcome to the family. Hi. Hi. High five. Air high five. Hi. Welcome to the family. Hey, people. Welcome. Hi. Welcome to the family. Those people who are attending first time on the online, welcome to the family as well. And uh, yeah. Today, we're going to learn about God providing us with mercy. God provides us with mercy. And I'm not going to preempt our preacher, but I'm so excited for that because I can just sense our need for it. How many here needs God's mercy? If you're not raising your hand. Welcome to the family. Sama-sama <laughs> But let's come and approach the word of the Lord with set hearts that no distractions, nothing else. Can we do that as a family? Yes. And thank you again because you could have just stayed home. You could have been somewhere else, but you are staying here. You've showed up. You showed up in your part of the family this morning. And uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Can you just say to the people around you, thank you for showing up. Thank you. thank you. Let's pray our favorite prayer in our feast. This is our prayer, our prayer of abundance. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you can, stretch your arms as a sign of openness through the Word of God, through the Spirit of God, and declare this all together. Come on, shout it out. Today, I receive all of God's love for me. Today, I open myself to the unbounded, limitless, overflowing abundance of God's universe. Come on. Healing and miracles. Today, I open myself to God's Word so I would become more like Jesus every day. Proclaim it. Today, I proclaim that I am God's beloved. I am God's servant. I am God's powerful champion. And because I am blessed, I am blessing the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Keep it up and sing to the Word of the Lord. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Put your hands to your heart and just have that moment with the Lord. Father, there's so many things done, not yet done throughout the week. So many voices so many concerns, so many urgents, but in this time, I listen to you. My heart is open to you. My spirit is wanting you. So Lord, speak to me. Speak to us as a family. And our Father in heaven, do your will. Come and do your will. This is our family prayer. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Give the Lord a big, big hand. Thank you, Lord. Excited for your Word. We love you, Jesus. Take your seats. As you take your seats, say to the person beside you, God is speaking to you today. We've missed him, and he just came from a wonderful journey. Let's give a big, warm welcome back again, Brother Bo Sanchez.
1: Oh, thank you, Doc D-Doy. Let's give another big hand to Doc D-Doy. Thank you for leading us. Thank you so much, Worship Team. Thank you also. I missed you guys. Bonjour. Deux trois quatre cinq. You know what I said in French? I counted one, two, three, four, five. That's all I can do. I came from Paris last night. And the first thing I did was, oh, by the way, just want to share something with you. I really believe this. While while we were celebrating Mass, I felt God was speaking to my heart. And God was telling me that, and, and He really told me, whatever is happening to you right now was once upon a time, just a dream. You were just dreaming for what's happening to you right now, this moment in your relationships, in your health, in your career. You know, we, we, we don't notice it. We don't realize it. But once upon a time, look back five years ago. Look back 10 years ago. Look back. If you're, if you're my age, look back 30 years ago. Whatever is happening right now was, once upon a time, just a dream. You understand me? And and the reason why we don't realize it, and we're not appreciative, we're not grateful. Ask me why. Three reasons. Number one, because we've got new dreams that we're working on. But that's an error, because we need to learn how to celebrate the dreams that have already been fulfilled. Reason number two, because we have set deadlines to those dreams that are already fulfilled that were unrealistic because they came from pride and impatience. What am I saying? It took too long to be fulfilled and we did not realize that they were already fulfilled. And the third reason is why we do not and are not appreciative of the dreams that have already been fulfilled in our lives is because the dreams came with problems. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because you're a human being and you live on planet Earth. And so because you do that and you are that, what happens is that you get surprised and then you're not grateful for the dreams that have already been fulfilled. I had a picture with my wife. I wish I could post it, but you can look at it in my social That, you know, we were on the plane and we took a picture last night. And then I realized something that many, many years ago, I drew a dream board. I had a dream board. It was big. And I drew this pretty girl and me riding a plane. And it represented what we were going to do when the kids were bigger. That we would have mission trips and we would lead pilgrimages more often. And then I realized I was looking at the photo and I was saying, wow, the dream is happening. I, I was the first thing I did was we went to Milan and we met the feast leaders from all the, over Europe. And and to consider that the feasts are growing in Europe is a dream that once upon a time, you know, they were just thoughts. They were just a figment of our imagination. Ano kaya maganda magkaroon ng feasts uh, you know here and there. But it was happening. I met leaders from Brussels, our feast leaders from Spain, our feast leaders from UK. We have a feast in Ireland. We have a feast in Norway. We have a feast in a small island in Spain, and and we we met in Milan. And I was just saying, wow, this was this this is a dream come can you just touch somebody beside you and tell that person keep dreaming and and sure it happened a, you know it took a long long time for it to happen but it happened and and those feasts you know they're not like us you know this is an anomaly this is a big feast this is an anomaly most feasts are small and they're beautiful because they're little families where they serve one another and they didn't know each other and they know each other. that's why we invite you to join small groups here we've got we've got we've got light groups we've got you know and and we invite you to build your own feast you can do that wherever you are you know be the light of the world in that place and in that city that you are in i And you know what the feasters told me in Europe? That they join us online. You know, they wake up at 3 in the morning, wherever they are, just to be here, right there. And I just want to greet you guys, you know, from Italy and from UK and from all... They're here. They're, they're, They're here every Sunday with you. We are one big family. Amen? And once one more time, I just want to say this. Guys... This was but a dream. What's happening right now, you know, those of you who were worshiping, those of you are playing instruments, once upon a time, if that was just a dream. Are you listening to what I'm saying? Hold the person that's with you, that you went with today. Hold hold that person. Once upon a time, that was just this. What's happening right now, that's just a dream. That was just a dream. You, you were just dreaming that you would have somebody that you would be holding right now. But guess what? That person is there. That friend is there. That family member is there. Once upon a time. And I want you, I want you to know, um, I was dreaming of this time. I was dreaming that I would be 56 and look younger. I, that, that was just a dream. I now look 55 and a half. You know, it's just, that's a dream. Thank you, guys. My dear friends, I'm not preaching here. Just wanted to greet you. Please welcome the guy who will be preaching to us, man of God, Audie Villaraza. You know, when when he comes out, all of a sudden, I look old, right? (laughs)
2: Welcome back, Brother Bo. Can we give a big hand to Brother Bo? You know, we were having a good time backstage. I don't know if you noticed it when D-Doy came out. Usually Didoy wears a coat, right? He's a little dressed down today. So Didoy thought, you know, I'm gonna dress down because these guys are gonna be dressing up. And then Brother Bo comes and he's just wearing a t-shirt. And then now I'm just wearing ripped jeans. You know, the next speaker that's gonna come, he's just gonna wear sando and shorts. <laughs> How are you guys? You blessed? Oh, I see so many good people in the house of God tonight. Uh, to, not tonight, this morning. Uh, let me give you our big message for today. Are you ready? Say, I'm ready. Okay, I need you to do this. We always do this every time I'm on stage. I want you to preach this to the two good-looking people beside you. Just tell them right now, God will always provide mercy. Amen. That's our message for today. And hey, if you're online, if you like scribbling notes, I notice that you like doing stories from time to time, feel free to take notes, especially here also, everybody. Quick question, okay? I want to lay down the foundation of this talk. We are in talk four, and we're talking about the book of Exodus, story of Moses. But I got a question for you. How many of you actually saw the original movie of the Ten Commandments? Raise your hand. Come on. Raise your hand. Keep your hands up. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the titos and titas in, of Manila. You guys just completely revealed your age. <laughs> you remember that movie? Can we show that slide? The original one with Charlton Heston as Moses and Yule Brynner as Pharaoh. That, that, that was a classic. I mean, took you, you know, almost a week to finish that movie. But it, it, it was good. How about this one? The cult Disney classic, The Prince of Egypt. Did you see that? That was also a good one. I mean, with that Mariah and, and, and Whitney song, there will be miracles, right? You, you know that song. How about this one? The latest one. It came out, I think, sometime about two years ago called Exodus, Gods and Kings. Did you catch that one? By, by Christian Bale and, and Joel, um, what's his name, the other guy. You, you never caught that? I didn't really like that one either. Why, why am I sharing this? I got a point. You know how Hollywood likes to take best-selling books and then turn it into movies? And then you've read the book, you love the book, and then you watch the movie and you're like, hmm, the book is so much better. You know, it's like they cut off some stuff from the book, and, and, and the acting wasn't as good, and, and they sh- shortchanged. changed so, so you feel like, you know, the, the book was so much better than the actual movie. That's how I feel like when it comes to the story of Moses, because I've seen the movies, I've seen all three movies, and you know, now that we're studying the book of Exodus, I feel like, you know, the book is so much better. There's so much stuff in the book that the movie wasn't able to depict, like for instance, This was the first time that I realized that Moses was actually this insecure person. He was Hebrew, adopted into Egyptian royalty, and now he didn't really like who he was. He was running away from his identity. The the movie did not really show that to me. And the other thing that I love so much that I'm reading now in the story of Exodus in the book is that, you know how Hollywood and, and, and the directors would portray Egypt as this evil nation, like the bad guy, right? But you know, when I was reading the actual book, it gave me a sense in which I felt like Egypt was more than that, that Egypt was actually a representation of everything that goes wrong in any society, whether it's in the past or present or even in the future. Think about it. What does Egypt represent? Opulence, lavishness, having too much excess, right? That's what Egypt was all about, slavery, corruption, greed. If you think about it, Egypt represented everything that God wasn't. So you could say, you know, that Egypt was like, it was anti-heaven. God was all about serving others, being selfless, while Egypt was all about serving yourself, keeping your interests at bay. God was all about freedom, while Egypt was all about slavery, subjugation. God was all about humility, and Egypt was all about pride. And you know, when you think about it, we studied Babel a few months ago, and I remember the Tower of Babel, you remember that? When they erected a monument so high, why? They wanted to reach heaven, they wanted to actually be God. Not reach God, but be God. And you know, Egypt is like the next version of Babel. They erected monuments, but here's the difference. The the difference between Egypt and Babel is that in Babel, they erected monuments in honor of their name to make a name for themselves. But in Egypt, yes, they erected monuments, but it wasn't in honor of their name. It was in the honor of one man, and they called him Pharaoh. You know all about the Pharaoh, right? But let me explain a little context about the Pharaoh. You see, the Pharaoh, he's not like your regular ruler, like, you know, we'd had presidents and, and, and prime ministers who we call public servants, right? They live to serve the public. The pharaoh is a little bit different. He lived so that the public would serve him. And I know what you're thinking. Like, you know, we got some, some, some public figures who act like that, right? Who live like the public should serve them. But anyway, that's for a different talk, okay? I'm not going to dwell on that. So anyway, why did they worship the pharaoh? The Egyptians believed that the pharaohs went down the lineage of the god Ra, the sun god, sun god Ra. So they were children of the sun god. So anything they believed, that anything that they would pray to Ra would be answered, would happen. So they worshiped Ra. And you know, this actually put Moses in a very unique position because remember, number one, Moses was Hebrew. But at the same time, he grew up with the Egyptians so he was rubbing elbows with the Pharaoh he, he knew the officers he could he, he knew the belief that they worship this, this man called Pharaoh but then when Moses encountered the living God that's when he realized that hey this man is just really just a man do you have anybody in your life that you look up to so much that you idolize i use that term you idolize and then you meet the person and it doesn't meet your expectations like you realize, you know, you put them on a pedestal and then you realize that they're just like you. Nowadays, we don't really use the term idol anymore. You know, there's a new term. You don't say who is your idol. What's the thing that, that, that they say today? Who is your bias? Who's your bias? <laughs> right? That's, that's, that's like lingo for, for my wife. Who's your bias? You know how they say never meet your idol? You know that? Never meet your idol. You know what I say? Meet your idol. Why? Because you, when you meet your idol, you realize that they're really just like you. They're really just like you. They're imperfect. They're impatient. They're inconsiderate. They're, they're just like you. Chances are they also fart under the blanket like you. They also you know play with their booger like like you. you they roll it up and then stick it under the table. Do, you do that. And worse, sometimes you know some of them might be eating them too. I don't know. But anyway, so meet your idol because then you realize that they're so imperfect that the only idol you should have is God. Because God will never disappoint you. God will never discourage you. God will never leave you. God should be your only idol. Am I clear on this point? Okay, I'm gonna talk more about that in a moment. But right now, I'm gonna give a quick recap for those of you who weren't here last week. We're, we're in this part in the study of Exodus where we're studying the part where Moses had just recently encountered God through the burning bush. And if you've watched the movie, if you read the book, you know this part. God came in the form of a burning bush. And God says to Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt. And Remember that Moses had just fleed from Egypt. He was running away from the Egyptians and the Hebrews. And then God says, go back to Egypt from where you came from. And I want you to tell the Pharaoh, let my people go. And you know the reaction of Moses, you know, Lord, who am I? See, Moses represented all of us who are so insecure. But one thing I love about Moses is in spite of his insecurity, he was so obedient. I wonder how many people here feel like you're so insecure at times, but you still show up. You're so unqualified for the stuff that you need to do, but you still show up every single time. Can you clap for the person beside you? You might be unqualified, but still show up. That's what Moses did. And now Moses, along with his brother, his big brother Aaron, has an audience with the Pharaoh and they have a conversation. Let me read it to you. If you have your physical Bible, especially if you're online, you can open it to the book of Exodus chapter 5. We're going to read this beautiful part where Moses is now in front of the Pharaoh. And it says this is after this presentation to Israel's leaders, Moses and Aaron went and spoke to Pharaoh. And they told him, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. And they said, let my people go as they may hold the festival in my honor in the wilderness. Is that so? Says the Pharaoh. And who is the Lord? Why should I listen to him and let Israel go? And then you can underline this part or highlight it. It says, the Pharaoh says I don't know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. You know, the main problem of the Egyptians, and namely the Pharaoh, is that line where he says, I don't know the Lord. He didn't know who God was. The Egyptians didn't know who God was, the one true God, and so they worshiped this man-God that they named Pharaoh. Did you know that you can, you can do the same thing in your life? You think that you're worshiping God, but actually you're not. You're worshiping a false idol can I show you some evidence that this is true? I brought some pictures with me. This first picture is a true story of a woman in the Philippines who spent four years praying. She was Buddhist. She spent four years praying to a green Buddha until a friend of hers said, that's not Buddha. That's Shrek. Right? (laughs) That's that's Shrek. Here's another one. There was a, a, a grandma who was praying to Jesus. She's praying to this image for so long. And she thought she was praying to the master. Apparently, it was a different master. It's a Jedi master. If you don't know who this guy is, that's Ewan McGregor. He played Obi-Wan Kenobi in Star Wars. But this one is my favorite. There was another elderly woman and she was praying to Jesus. And she, was, she thought she was praying to the Lord of all. Until she realized it was actually the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> that's, that's Lord Elrond from, you know, the, the, the Lord of the Elves. So this is proof, my friends, that sometimes we think that we're worshiping God when actually we're worshiping false idols. False idols have a name. Power. Position. Possessions. Even people. You know, you can be worshiping the very people that, that you look up to. And the danger there is that you you leave no space for God to be in your life when you start worshipping people. You know no wonder sometimes we feel so chaotic. We feel so terrible because we've been worshipping the wrong God. And you know what the most scary part about this is this that even when we do that God's not going to stop you. God's going to allow you. Because the thing that that scares me so much is this is that God will allow even your wrong decisions? He'll allow it. He's not gonna stop you. I'll tell you more about it later, but right now, okay. So how did the Pharaoh respond? You need to hear this. How did the Pharaoh respond? Or, or rather, sorry, not the Pharaoh, because now it's the time of Moses. Oh, sorry, no, okay. Uh, it's still the Pharaoh. So now the Pharaoh says, I don't know the Lord and I will let Israel go. And then in verse six of that same chapter, it says that that same day, Pharaoh sent this order to the Egyptian slave drivers and the Israelite foreman, and he says, Do not supply any more straw for making bricks. Instead, make the people get it themselves, but still require them to make the same number of bricks as before. In other words, do not reduce the quota. Slave driver, I'm telling you, and this, he says they're lazy. That's why they're crying out, let us go and offer sacrifices to our God. Load them down with more work and make them sweat. That will teach them to listen to lies. I want to pause here for a moment. I want to give you four lessons, four messages from this story. Here's the first message. The message is this, that God is fighting for you. God is fighting for you. Say that to somebody beside you who needs to hear that message that God is fighting for you. Think about it. Walk with me for a moment. So Moses comes, talks to Pharaoh, let God's people go. And and Pharaoh, how does he respond? Instead of letting the people go, he makes it even harder for the Israelites. He punishes them even more. And you know, one thing that we can learn from this, Egypt represents evil, yes? Egypt represents sin. If there's one thing we can learn from this is that the more you try to get rid of evil in your life isn't it true that evil punishes you even more evil latches on to you even more because the truth is sin will not give you up very easily it's gonna try to grasp and grab and latch on to you that's why sometimes you ever have a sin so bad that you try to get rid of it, you're taking one step, but meantime, the following day, you take two steps back. You're always backsliding. Why? It's because sin loves to do that. The devil wants to present sin as something that's, you know, pleasant, approachable, you know, attractive. It starts out as a seed, but then it gets planted in your life, and little before you know it, You start watering that seed until such time that it becomes a big tree and you're unable to chop it down just like that. So we always say this at the feast, that the way to fight sin is to fight it when it's still young, when it's still early. When you recognize it's a bad habit, chop it down, uproot it from the source. Because that's the tactic of the enemy. And I want to tell you this, just in case you're not acknowledging it yet, there is a battle between good and evil. How many of you know that? It's a spiritual warfare out there, my friends. There's a battle going on between good and evil. And I'm, I'm gonna share this with you. Just last week, we had an online program for our pastoral heads. It was via Zoom, and um, it was called The Art of Deception Spiritual Warfare for Catholics. And I'm telling you, true story. Before it even ended, midway through the whole program, you know what happened? the speaker got cut off couldn't connect back i mean he tried different laptops from his friends but could not go back so they just ended the program the devil is trying to make sure that you stay in that place of sin this is the story of of exodus you leave the place of sin sin will follow you remember what happened that day the israelites went away from egypt Pharaoh finally said, okay, go, get out of my face. Get out of here. And then they were out in the desert. And then little did they know that eventually what happened, the Egyptians were chasing after them. Sin will always try to chase you down. That's why it's so hard. That's the bad news. That the devil is fighting for you. You want to hear some good news? Are you sure? The good news is that God is also fighting for you. And the truth is, who wins in the end? god does god does god is fighting for you my friend this is that part that i love so much here's message number two god allows problems to change you and me god allows problems to change you and i'll tell you how because it says this is how moses reacts he goes back to god and starts complaining Chapter 5 ends with Moses complaining to the Lord. In verse 22, Then Moses went back to the Lord and protested, and he said, Why have you brought all this trouble on your own people, Lord? Why did you send me? Ever since I came to the Pharaoh as your spokesman, he has been ever more brutal to your people. And you have done nothing to rescue them. You can highlight that part. Why have you brought all this trouble on your own people, Lord? You know, I wonder how, how many people here can actually relate to Moses. Anybody here can 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 feel that message that sometimes you know it's it's hard when you're with God. Like, you ever feel like you got closer to God, but then as you got closer to God, you got more problems. Anybody here would say that you're, you're doing good. You want to be good. You're trying to be good. You're trying to be the best husband, the best wife, the best the best employer, and yet baggages just keep on piling on you ever feel like that can i share this analogy from a perspective of a parent is that okay parents who have kids who go to online school can you raise your hand any parents who have kids who go to online school okay all right you know the number one complaint of every kid right now who go to online school is this mom dad why doesn't teacher call me the kid has his hands raised the entire time. Mom, Dad, the teacher is not calling me. Little do they know that much later on in life, they're going to do everything possible for the teacher not even to notice them. <laughs> right? So, Dad, Mom, the teacher is not calling me. And you know, I've seen kids uh, cry in, in, in the classes. And the parents sometimes have to tell, Teacher, you anak see you know, Notice my child. And it happened so many times to Ethan. Dad. Teacher is not calling me. You know what? I could do two things. I could either tell the teacher, teacher, can you please call my son? But the second thing is what we do, me and my wife, and this is just on on us, okay? We believe that it's much better to just talk to our son instead of telling the teacher. So we tell our son, you know, there's like 25 people in the Zoom class. I mean, the teacher will not be able to see everybody. You have to wait your turn. And the reason why we do that is this. It's, it's, it's It's so good because... You know, we realize that when we we can definitely avoid discouragement for our child, but we don't, because we believe that hey, in the real world, sometimes you have to wait, right? In the real world, sometimes you're not first in line. In the real world, sometimes you're not the one who gets promoted first. In the real world, sometimes hindi ka crush ng crush mo. I don't know who that message was for, but anyway, God bless you. So that's when you complain to the Lord, Lord, I need a new crush. This one doesn't like me back. (laughs) That's what happens. That's reality, right? And you know what? God is a parent. He's a parent. So sometimes God will allow you to go through discouragement. Why? Because He knows that it's going to strengthen you. It's going to make you better. It's going to make you more patient. It's going to make you more compassionate. It's going to make you more loving and more generous towards people. That's why God allows trouble in your life. So what do you do? Trust God in the trouble. Trust Him in the trouble. Praise Him for every pruning that you went through this year. Praise Him for all the problems that kept you standing in your life. Are you going to praise God right now? Come on. Praise Him for every problem that did not break you. Praise Him for every beating that did not put you down. Trust God in the trouble because it's in the trouble where He tests you, where He makes you stronger and better. So praise God for every pruning and every problem. Here's message number three. God can hasten the bad consequences of your life. I'm going to walk very lightly on this because this is a very hard point. Some of you are probably already questioning, "What does that even mean? God can hasten the bad consequences of your bad of your of your choices." You see, there is a line, many lines in the Book of Exodus that, if you if if you if you're reading it for the first time, chances are you'll, you're you're going to get confused. It, it's 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 repeated and repeated and repeated and repeated. If you've watched the movie, you'll hear the line where it says that God hardened the Pharaoh's heart. You remember that? Yahweh hardened the Pharaoh's heart, and and. When I was reading this, I'm like, can that be true? I mean, doesn't God give us free will? Like, God manipulates our hearts? And then it becomes an excuse. Ah, no wonder. Kaya yung bato. You know, you have this excuse that God hardened the heart of my friend. But does God really do that? No. And I'll explain. Before we understand this, I want you to know that this text is very ancient. It, it's not from our time. It comes from a nation, place in an ancient time, from an ancient situation. And the first thing you got to know is that the author is not saying that, you know, God will manipulate you from becoming an innocent man into an evil man. Or an, a, a, an innocent woman into an evil woman. God doesn't do that. He doesn't mess with that. But what is, what is the author trying to say? That sometimes, and I need you to listen to this. It says, God hardened the heart of the Pharaoh. Sometimes when God already sees you headed towards the wrong direction, God will hasten the consequences of that bad decision that you've made so that in return, God is also accelerating the mercy that will meet you in that place. I hear five people saying, Amen, and I think the other didn't understand. Okay, let me put this analogy. Okay, uh, okay, give me, give, me, give, me, give me some time. Imagine door number one. Door number one is, uh, you know, a door to life, a door to joy, a door to happiness, a door to abundance. But there is door number two. And door number two leads to evil, to destruction, to corruption, to everything that is not so good. If God sees and God knows that you've been choosing door number two, there's a pattern and you've been choosing door number two every, every time. You know what's God's, what God's going to do? He's going to go ahead and already give you the consequences of you choosing door number two so that in the end, He can offer His mercy to you already. You see, God's mercy is so good that He's going to continue to give it to you and to give it to you and to give it to you until hopefully one day you will accept that mercy. That's what He did to the Pharaoh. Before He gave the plagues, how many plagues were there? Ten, right? Ten plagues. Before the plagues even came, in the first five plagues, plague one to five, the repeated line and the repeated statement was, Pharaoh hardened his heart. So you see, even before God inserted Himself, the Pharaoh's heart was already hardened. God never influenced his heart. He was already bitter. He was already angry. But then in the next five verses, what happened? The repeated statement now was, Yahweh hardened the heart of Pharaoh. So it was that time that God knew that because Pharaoh was just choosing this and choosing down this road, what I'm going to do is I'm going to hasten the bad consequences and send plagues so that hopefully, hopefully, He will receive my mercy. And I wonder how many people here need the mercy of God. And he's been sending it to you. He's been sending it to you, but you haven't been receiving it. I want you to know that there will be a point of no return. That's what happened to the Pharaoh. There was a point of no return where he completely rejected God. And that's why he encountered the the plagues. Don't make the same mistake, my friend. While you're still breathing, while you're still here, while you still feel the presence of God, receive His mercy. Receive His mercy. What is the significance of the plague? I'll, I'll just run this very quickly. We don't have enough time to, uh, to even talk about the 10 plagues, but you know what the plague represented? The plague was actually not just a random thing that you know Moses was just naming plagues, you know, but whatever he would think in his creativity. The plague was actually, listen to this, it was an act of decreation say it again, it was an act of the creation. What does that mean? Remember that when God created the world, He created it out of nothing and there was chaos, there was noise, there was nothing. And, and so, God spoke and the world became. When you reject God, what happens is that chaos re-enters your life. That's why sometimes you feel like, you know, when God is not there, You feel like everything is broken? Everything is in disarray? You get disoriented? It's because chaos is re-entering into your life. Receive God's mercy today so you don't ever have to go through what Pharaoh did and you don't ever have to go through the plagues that they, they went through. Here's the last message. Is this helping anybody here? Okay, message number four. And this is where we are. This is the title of our talk. That God will always provide mercy. God will always provide mercy. You know, when you go back to the beginning of Exodus, what was the story of the book of Exodus is that it started with chapter 1 when the Pharaoh was so insecure about the Israelites gaining number. So what did he do? He, uh, he made a command that every male Hebrew child should be drowned in the Nile River. Question. Was that an act of mercy from the Pharaoh? Yes or no? Yes or no? No, right? That was an act of violence. And some of you might say, when you know all the plagues, that wasn't God also doing acts of violence through the plagues? Like for instance, what's, what's plague number 10? Do you remember what plague number 10 was? The last plague where Moses said that every firstborn son of Egypt would die. So some of you might say, take a Where's God's mercy there? That's also an act of violence, killing people. Would you like to see God's mercy in the flesh right now? Okay. In the book of Exodus, when you go all the way to chapter 12, Moses gives an instruction to the people and he says, Announce to the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each family must choose a lamb. Everybody say a lamb or a young goat for a sacrifice. One animal for each household. If a family is too small to eat a whole animal, let them share with another family in the neighborhood. And then divide the animal according to the size of each family and how much they can eat. The animal you select must be one year old and male, either a sheep or a goat with no defects. Everybody say with no defects. And then Moses promises something. God promises something through Moses. He says that on that night, in chapter 12, verse 12 rather, on that night, God says, I will pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn son and firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt for I am the Lord. And then he says this, this is so powerful. He says, but the blood on your doorposts will serve as a sign marking the houses where you are staying. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. This plague of death will not touch you. When I strike the land of Egypt. Where is God's mercy in all that? An act of violence, just like the Pharaoh, kill every Hebrew child, drown them in the Nile River, and then God says, I wanna kill every, I'm gonna kill every firstborn child in Egypt. Who was he giving the instructions to to put the blood on the doorpost? Was it just the Israelites? Was it just the Egyptians? No. He said it to everybody there. Whether you're Egyptian, whether you're Hebrew, whether you're Gentile, whether you're Jew, whether you're male, whether you're female, whether you're old, whether you're young, whether you're healthy, whether you're sick. God's mercy is available to everybody. It's available to anybody who receives it. Some of us think that, you know, Lord, it's only for those who are righteous. It's only for those who are saints. But you know, Jesus came not for the saints. He came for those who were sinners. Those who are far away from God. I don't want to preach this to somebody here today. That if you've been far from Christ. And if you feel like sin has taken a grip on you. I want you to know that there is a God who will save you from that. No matter how far you are. There is no one who is too broken for Jesus to save you. And to mend you. There is nobody too far for God to reach you and pluck you out from that pit. Because God's mercy is available to those who will receive it. Would you like to receive the mercy of God? Can I ask you to stand up as I close? When the author wrote this, this was archaic. This is Old Testament. I mean, but the way he wrote it was just a prophecy. To point to an event that would happen much, much later on. This is the Old Testament, but when he said... Announce to the whole community of Israel. Can we put it to that slide, that verse? Announce to the whole community of Israel that on, so that they can see it there. That on the 10th day of this month, each family must choose what? Must choose what? A lamb. And then you go all the way to the end, a lamb with no defects. In other words, you need to choose a lamb that was perfect, flawless, without blemish, without sin. What lamb are we talking about? The lamb who would come to take away every sin in this world. You see, this was pointing to something. Choose a lamb, a lamb that has no defect. And what do you do? You take the blood of that lamb and then you smear your doorpost. And then the promise is this, the promise is this. I got to read it to you. The promise is this, when you do that, the blood on your doorposts will serve as a sign marking the houses that you are staying. And when I see the blood, God says, I will pass over you in this plague of death. I don't know what kind of death, but worldly death. It will not touch you. When you got the blood of the Lamb covering your heart, covering your life, and serving as a rest on your doorstop my friends. going to protect you. Who is in your heart right now? Or what's in your heart? Is it anything but Jesus? Because if it's not Jesus, plague will touch you. Death will touch you. But the promise is that if it's Jesus in your heart, it will pass over you. God will protect you and He will make you His home give Jesus a place in your heart my friend. It doesn't matter who you are, you can be a different nationality, you can come from a different background, you can have different different things going on in your life but God says this is available to everybody. Let the blood of Jesus rest on the doorpost of your heart. Put it there. Smear your life with the blood of the lamb, the perfect lamb He's the only one that can save you. Father, in your presence right now, we are here in your midst. If there is anything or anyone that is taking position in the throne of your daughter and your son, Father, I ask that you remove that. Help them get rid of the sin and the evil that has taken root in their life. There is nothing too great that your grace cannot overcome. Father, you are a chain breaker. You are a way maker. And right now, I declare that in the mighty name of Jesus of Nazareth, chains are breaking in this place. Shackles are coming loose in this place. Prison doors are wide open in this place and your child is walking out and we are here to have life with you Jesus we receive your spirit we receive your life we receive your name we receive your love fill our hearts to overflowing oh God walk in and take your place in Jesus name in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.
0: Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Subscribe to Feast Radio and open yourself to God's grace. For more podcasts like these, visit feast.ph radio.